what actually gives Bitcoin and the rest of the cryptocurrencies value? What makes them worth something? How do we know that if we buy them, they won't just be worth $0 tomorrow? In this episode, we explore the answer to that question. Enjoy. Welcome to the Crypto Labs Experience, where freedom to us is simply non-negotiable. This podcast is dedicated to helping you take your power back and create your own version of financial freedom. Join us as we surf the blockchain and explore the world of crypto, DeFi, and the future of money. Buckle up and enjoy the adventure. Welcome back to the Crypto Labs podcast. Two quick things as usual. This is not financial advice. This is for educational entertainment purposes only. We have made a ton of money, lost a ton of money, and have gone deep down the rabbit hole of crypto. And we simply bring those lessons back and share them through this podcast and really fundamentally everything we do within Crypto Labs research. Second thing I want to mention really quick is we do have a free course. If you have not yet checked that out, it is a course that dives deep into crypto, DeFi, aka decentralized finance, and passive income streams. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business person, and at the end of the day, cash flow is the name of the game for me. And if I could find projects and investments that cash flow, then I'm a happy camper. And the course that we put together is is really fundamentally about that. You'll you'll really get a deep understanding. That goes even beyond the episode we're about to record today, which is why does this whole space have value and how can we tap into that value? Now, today's episode is obviously all about what gives crypto value. It's a, it's a multi-dimensional answer to this question and I make that sound very complicated. There's many ways to answer this question and I'm going to build on some logic here. Being in business and being behind like sales and marketing of different products, different programs, really studying it for the last five, six years, I really started understanding that fundamentally, fundamentally, and now this isn't always absolutely true, but for the most part, fundamentally, things beyond our basic, basic needs have value because, well, a group of people, they say it does. And at first, that may seem sort of like Ponzi or, well, what if no one thinks it's valuable, then that thing really won't have value. How do I know this? I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs who have a tremendous amount of value to bring. They're extremely knowledgeable, yet they fail to sell anything. And for years, they struggle to sell anything and no one buys anything, yet you know, they could compete with the likes of Tony Robbins with what they have to bring to the table, but Tony Robbins makes hundreds of millions and this guy or gal makes zero. Interesting. Just because something has intrinsic value doesn't mean that everybody sees it. How is it communicated? And do people see the value? And do they all agree that, hey, there's value here? Hence, supply and demand. Now, I think some things have like intrinsic value that everyone agrees on, like air, you know, water, although it depends what part of the country and where you are in the world, water may have more or less value depending on supply and demand. 
But beyond the basics, the necessities of life, everything else kind of becomes luxury. We don't need it. We want it. And so let's just hold that thought and, and kind of put it over here. Then let's think about something like gold. You know, the gold price doesn't drastically fluctuate. I'm not sure what it's at today, but last week it was it was nearing some, some all-time highs, and we've seen it go up, down, but generally, generally, it stays fairly consistent. What gives gold value? Well, if we really broke it down, we'd say it's scarce. It's not easy to create. It has to be mined. You know, we, we, we think of it as a precious metal. We call it a precious metal. It's been, you know, used for thousands of years. It's durable. It stands the test of time. It's divisible for the most part. You know, we can argue how easy is it to transport. It, it, it really isn't, but there is some allure to that as well. And then, of course, we use it to make jewelry. But who dictates the price of gold? Like, why is gold not worth a dollar an ounce? Why is it worth a thousand or two thousand? Why is it not worth two hundred? Who dictates this supply and demand? If everyone thinks it's worth more than a thousand dollars, the price goes up. If everyone thinks it's worth less than a thousand dollars, the price goes down. There's buyers, there's sellers. Art, cars, collectibles. All works in somewhat the same way. We all see the Mona Lisa as valuable. And so it is. It's extremely scarce. There's only, I, I believe there's only one. I'm not an art expert here. But just play with me here. Now, what about money money? Like cash money? Like I want to go buy something, so I take out $1,000 of cash and go purchase it from someone who agrees that, hey, yes, this is worth $1,000. Let's both agree on it. Wham, bam, done. Well, money, the paper itself, used to be valuable because it was backed by gold. It no longer is. So we don't have that argument to make anymore, but we could. Really, the only argument left for like our fiat, our government-issued currency, is that we all say it has value. And so it does. And so it does. But the paper in and of itself is really worthless. It's just a note. It's just a piece of paper. And if I give it to you, you say, yeah, it's worth $100, and I think my item is worth 100 so here you go. Great exchange. Both people think that they got value. I think, obviously, I think that what I bought is worth probably just a little bit more, so I paid for it. And whomever is receiving the $100 said, mm, this is worth, like, the $100 to me is worth more than this item, so let's exchange it. Everyone wins. But what happens when people lose trust in the currency? which has happened in many, many countries many times over. What happens when people say, mm, I don't know about this. The system fails. Simple as that. So what fundamentally gives, and I'm going to start with Bitcoin, what gives Bitcoin value? On the surface level, it's because we say it does. Now that scares a lot of people, but most things in the world are. People use that a lot, like, well, just Bitcoin's only worth 
money because people say it is, but if no one had interest in Bitcoin and no one wanted to buy it, then it'd be worth nothing. True, 100%. Even if it has intrinsic value, which it does, it's scarce, it's divisible, it's durable, it's portable, it meets all of those requirements and more. There's a limited supply of it. There's only going to ever be 21 million. You can divide it down to 100,000 or 100 million to make a Satoshi. All of that has intrinsic value like crazy. It's worth, it's, it's the best form of, you know, currency and money that's ever existed. And guess what? The world is picking up on that. And the more the world picks up on that, the more the price rises. Now, to me, a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin and I'm going to hold that Bitcoin for the next, I don't know, 50 years. But when we start relating it to dollars worth, yeah, it fluctuates. Yeah, people get scared. But we're early and people are waking up to, hey, how about I just hold the on-chain analytics week by week gets stronger. More people own it. More wallets are opened up. More people are buying just a few hundred dollars of Bitcoin. And that makes it worth more because more people are buying it. More people see it as valuable. No different than anything else that scares a lot of people. Recently, used cars went up by like 25% because there was some supply chain issues. Uh, they were harder to get. They were more scarce. Supply and demand. And guess what? Your car went up. Maybe your house went up if you own a house. And guess what? The house will go back down. Buyers and sellers, supply and demand. Now, of course, a house, we have a roof overhead, we live in it, has some intrinsic value, but that doesn't necessarily dictate the price going up or down. If nobody thinks that there, was, there has been cities that are just ghost towns now because nobody's seen it valuable to live there. Now you can buy a house there for, I don't know, a couple grand or a couple ten, I don't know what it is. But you get the point. Nobody saw it as valuable anymore, so everyone left. And when everyone left, everything went to zero. No different than anything else. So what we need to look at is not what is the Bitcoin worth in and of itself, but we got to look at, because that will fluctuate, we got to look at the on-chain analytics. Now that's something we, we you know, dive into. Join a free group. Join the free course. We touch on a lot of this stuff. What's cool about Bitcoin is you can look at the stats and data on chain, meaning it's very transparent and you can see how many wallets are opening up, how many wallets are buying it, how many people are selling it. And the on-chain analytics are very strong. Now there's macro events happening right now, May 22nd, that will make the price fluctuate. Fear, greed, all of that fun stuff. Makes the price go up, makes the price go down. Short-term volatility. Long-term, it's very clear. Bitcoin continues to grow in value. More people continue to adopt it. Countries are adopting it. Banks are adopting it. Institutions are adopting it. Companies are throwing it on their balance sheets to hold for the next five years as reserves. It's plain as day, but people are terrified of the volatility and like what actually gives this value. The same as absolutely anything else. The same as anything else. Because people say it does. And if something has a very deep intrinsic value, then over time, people adopt it. If it doesn't have some intrinsic value, then it's just a fad. Which brings us to the rest of the cryptocurrencies. Now, Ethereum has intrinsic value because it's a platform. And many apps are built upon it. 
So the iPhone gained popularity because more and more people adopted the iPhone. Apps were built on iPhone, and now our life is run by apps. And so, you know, without the iPhone, we can't run those apps, so to speak. Same with Ethereum. So 80 or 85% of my portfolio is Bitcoin, Ethereum, no-brainer. Then we get into the rest of the, and just, just for simplicity's sake, I mean, Bitcoin is Bitcoin and altcoins are everything else. I'm just going to say Bitcoin and Ethereum are my largest holders, holders and then everything else. Now it gets tricky. We're constantly researching and seeking out projects. And we got to think of them as projects or like tiny little businesses that are, you know, different cryptocurrencies, different blockchains, different th layer twos built upon blockchains that are solving real problems. And I see them as businesses. What problem is this solving? And if the problem it's solving is big enough and a lot of people are utilizing it, then the value goes up. It scares people because it's like, so if no one sees it as valuable, the coin token or project has no value. Yes, just like any business, just like any musician, just like any artist, there are geniuses walking among us. You're probably one of them. There's geniuses walking among us with, with ideas that would solve massive problems in the world. But if no one adopts it, if no one uses the technology, if no one shops at the business, then the business goes under. You could be an amazing author, but if nobody buys the book, you know, the book goes under. There's many case studies, and I'm talking a little bit about entrepreneurship and marketing here, but where a book bombed in sales, like flopped, and then some marketer just redid the title and then it became a bestseller. The value inside the book never changed. How people perceived it changed, hence giving the book fame, and the author became famous. Crazy, isn't it? I'm in that world, so I understand it, and I'm very comfortable with it. So when I'm looking at projects, you know, I like to diversify. I like to grab eight or ten different projects and dollar cost average into them all and feel it out and, you know, what's the community like? What problem are they solving? Is this being adopted? And if the answer is yes, then that short-term price volatility doesn't bother me. Because I've invested in the long-term success of a project coin token. I, my, my intention for this episode is to hopefully allow us to get beyond this whole, well, it's just a Ponzi and if nobody sees it's valuable, then no one, then it's zero valuable. That's Ponzi. Ponzi is like, you, that's Ponzi. It's Ponzi. It's Ponzi. Everything almost is. If you really break it down, almost everything is. Now, you'd have to look up the definition of actual Ponzi-nomics, which is a little bit different. It's like, hey, I have, I'm, I'll give you 10% returns, and I'm going to pay those returns out by new money coming in. And if the new money stops coming in, then I can't pay out. That's like the real definition of Ponzi. We just throw Ponzi around anything that's like, well, if people don't see it's valuable, then it's not. And people label it as Ponzi. That's business. That's supply and demand. That's Almost everything you interact with, I have some Dr. Dre Beats or whatever headphones on my table, and I think I probably paid a lot more than other types of headphones. Supply and demand, the problems it's solving, the way it's marketed made me pay two or three times more than maybe another set of headphones. Are they two or three times better? I'm not sure. Now, 
coins, tokens, Bitcoin projects are a lot like that. A little bit different, but a lot like that as well. And again, if the Beats headphones are as good as they say they are, which they are, then guess what? More people keep buying it. The business does better. Now, if the Dr. Dre Beats headphones are total junk, then nobody buys them and the business goes under. They're, I'd say 90% of all the altcoins are like going to go to zero because they're all junk. They don't actually solve problems. We do a 32 to 34 step research framework on every project we look at so we can, like, if it's all green check marks, I'm like, hell yes. If it's mostly green check marks, tread lightly. A lot of projects are like all red, non-check marks, <laughs> X marks, whatever. They have no value. They don't actually solve a massive problem. Then I don't think the project's going to go far. Stay away. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, very safe bets. I mean, obviously, read the white papers. And this isn't financial advice. Do your research on it. But year over year over year, I think there was one or two years that Bitcoin was in the red. Every other year, it's in the green. Buy a lot. Beats every other asset class that you can ever think of. And it continues to grow. We're in an interesting season right now, which is... Hint, hint, probably a good time to start getting in. But the adoption and how quickly it's growing just blows my mind. Because people are having less and less trust and faith in the government. Or that at least they'd like to hold even 2 or 5% of their worth in Bitcoin. You know what that's doing for Bitcoin? When institutions are starting to do that. When banks are making Bitcoin available to their clients. When hedge funds are getting into it. When us consumers are like, hey, we want exposure to Bitcoin, then the big, big financial institutions are going to make, are, are doing everything they can to make it available to the consumers. Now, regulation is slowing that down, which is why the first time ever, not the first time, but it, we have a rare opportunity to be able to get into things like Bitcoin and different cryptocurrency projects before the big, big players do, which is pretty cool. We're able to get into it, and then the big players, as they come in, of course, they drive the value up because supply and demand. I hope that helps. I hope that answers that question. I think in the last week or two weeks, I was asked that four or five times in our group alone. Now, if you haven't joined our group yet, CryptolabsResearch.com, you'll see a link to our free course, our free group. Join the community. We are on a mission to just bring no BS education to the masses, to anyone who wants to listen, to anyone who's interested in crypto and DeFi. We, we want to make it very available. This podcast is a part of that plan, but our group is another part of that plan where we actually get to help you out. If you have a question, ask it. It'll probably end up on this podcast, which is really, really exciting. So CryptoLabsResearch.com. And of course, we run our crypto, DeFi, and passive income investor programs. If you ever want to explore that, we do have an application for it. Fill it out. We'll send you some more information. We send you exactly how it works, what's involved. We ev Everyone who runs through a program is in at least two passive income projects by the time they're through with us. And that's a guarantee. If not, we give you a 100% refund or... Or we continue working with you until you're in at least two passive income projects in the crypto DeFi space. And by passive income, I mean projects that pay you either daily, weekly, or monthly. Like you actually receive your dollars and you can go into the real world and do something with it. Like buy things. 
that kind of passive income. And so if that interests you, then of course you can check that out again at CryptolabsResearch.com. Truly, truly appreciate you and just grateful to be able to serve. And I, I genuinely mean that. This space has uh, changed my life in a lot of different ways and has relit just a, a, a spark and a passion for serving that I have felt many times in the past, but not at this caliber. I know what the future is going to bring to those who invest the time and energy into the education of this space right now. 100% conviction. Uh, hence, Crypto Labs Research was born, and this company has just been a joy to operate. So thank you for being a part of that. www.cryptolabsresearch.com, and I'll catch you on the next.